Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Ball loose. Give me one, Lance. Give me one, Lance. Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain Kutch with another one. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Halliburton leaves it off for Batase. Go, go. Good job. Oh, what a move by Heald. He lays it in. Heald. Hotter than fish grease. Drops it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Washington again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Out running is Brissett. Outs it all. It's it to Taylor. Taylor missed it. Tips it in. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Halliburton going to slam it at the other end. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. As you guys are well aware, the month of April is coming to an end, and that means May is where everything is going to be getting exciting here for the Indiana Pacers as the NBA Draft Lottery is on May 17th. We're just a few weeks away from that. And then, of course, the draft combine. So we'll get to hear some rumors and maybe get some idea of what these players look like and how these different executives feel about these players. But today on uh, our podcast, we're going to have some fun looking back at some draft history. So Fachi is going to cover the Pacers' last 10 draft picks, what their NBA comparison was at the time, what NBA draft net listed as their strength coming into the draft, and then talk about their stint in Indiana. So I think you guys are going to enjoy that. Um, we also have on our fan of the week. And then later in the show, I'm going to be looking at players that were selected with the first pick in the second round, which the Pacers own this year from Houston. So we're going to be talking a lot of draft and draft history on this one. So hope you guys enjoy today's show. We're going to start things off with Michael Focci. All right, everybody, we are back. It's your boy, Mike Focci, and I thought we would have a little bit of fun with this segment, a good old stroll down memory lane as it relates to the last 10 first-round picks for the Indiana Pacers, our Indiana Pacers, that is. And I thought I would go off of NBADraft.net as it relates to what their comparison were was at the time, as well as, you know, kind of what their strengths were. So starting in 2010, Paul George. Uh, 10th overall, his NBA comparison was Scottie Pippen. Uh, that's a pretty good one. Uh, strengths, his athleticism and ability to run the floor make him dynamic in transition. Took a look at that draft class. After Paul George being picked 10th, there isn't even a fringe all-star selected after, so it was a A-plus pick for the Pacers. 2011, oh, man, sorry to, to bring up old memories, but this was the pick that we traded um, for George Hill, which ended up being Kawhi Leonard, 15th overall. I apologize for making us all relive this nightmare. 2012, Pacers took Miles Plumlee, 26th overall. The man didn't even have an NBA comparison 
on nbadraft.net. That should say it all. Look what they mentioned for his strengths. Physical big man with a severely limited skill set. I don't know what the strength is there. Plumlee's short stint in Indiana was beyond forgettable. After just 14 games played, he would end up being traded to the Suns. The 2012 draft actually ended up having some gold in the second round with Jay Crowder, Draymond Green, Chris Milton, and Will Barton all being selected after Miles Plumlee. 2013, Solomon Hill went 23rd overall. His NBA comparison at the time was Bobby Simmons, who was a pretty solid NBA player for, for quite some time. Solomon Hill's strengths were versatile combination forward, possessing a full complement of mismatched tools. Uh, hmm. I would say Hill's time in Indiana is probably best known for the potential game-winning three that was 0.1 of a second too late against the Toronto Raptors in the playoffs before he ended up catching a bag with the Pelicans in 2016, a contract that they would soon regret. Tim Hardaway Jr. and Rudy Gobert would be picked within four picks of Solomon Hill. <sighs> 2014. Uh, our 2014 pick was actually packaged with Miles Plumley and Gerald Green for Luis Scola. Sheesh. 2015, Miles Turner, 11th overall. His NBA comparison was Raif LaFrance, which I feel like was a little bit of a low ball there. No disrespect to Raif, but come on. His uh, Miles' strengths were the thing that jumps out, they said, was most was his ex exceptional length and frame. Obviously, we know he is uh, an all world shot blocker, so can't argue there. Turner, once proclaimed by Larry Bird as someone who would go down as the best pacer of all time, was picked at 11th in a shaky draft. I'd, I'd give that grade, honestly, a really good pick for, for the draft. However, just two picks later was Devin Booker. 2016, we the Pacers traded the 20th overall pick, which ended up being Karis LeVert, for Thaddeus Young. Not a bad move by any means, especially at the time. 2017, the legend himself, TJ Sharman Toilet Paper Leaf was picked 18th overall. Man, they didn't have an NBA comparison for him, but the strengths were a versatile offensive player who shows the ability to play both inside and out. I don't remember TJ Leaf having an inside game. Anyway, they said he has a European-like skill set and does a great job of exploiting mismatches on offense. To be honest, it felt like anytime TJ Leaf was guarding someone, it was a mismatch. It's hard to remember a standout play or game for Leaf in a game that actually mattered. I remember TJ Leaf dominating the last game of the season against the Chicago Bulls when it didn't mean anything a few years back. However, Leaf spent the majority of his time in Indiana, kind of warming up the bench for a few others and trimming that, that infamous goatee of his. John Collins, Jared Allen, OG Ananobi, as well as Kyle Kuzma would be picked just a few picks later. Leaf is currently playing in China. 2018, Aaron Holiday, 23rd overall. I actually really liked this pick at the time because that man could flat out score in college. His NBA comparison was Lindsey Hunter, which, you know, doesn't really jump off the page. But they said his strengths were he was a really quick guard capable of penetrating and beating opponents off the dribble. Handles the ball really well and knows how to finish around the rim with both hands. I, I mean, maybe finish around. I don't really remember Aaron Holiday ever getting above the rim, but really not really getting to the rim that much. But anyway, um, man, he ended up playing for Alex's Wizards as well as the Phoenix Suns currently. Aaron showed flashes in Indiana, but one pick later was Anthony Simons, who is an actual stud in the making. 
as well as guards Jalen Brunson and Gary Trent Jr. Uh, fell to the second round. So a little bit of a tough, uh, you know, stint in Indiana for Aaron Holiday. Wishing nothing but the best. 2019, Goga Bataze, 18th overall. His NBA comparison was Nene Kristic as well as Yusuf Nurkic. You could tell they went with the European big man over there uh, for both comparisons. Nurkic, real solid player. Kristic had his moments. Anyway, they said the strengths were for Goga. A good balance and mobility for his size. Hmm. Uh, he's not a great athlete, but his sneaky athletic loves to run the floor. All right, so I'm hearing all this about him running the floor, mobility. Goga looked slower than a snail last year, especially when Tyrese Halliburton came over there. Um, but I would like to say his time in Indiana has been like a roller coaster, but that would imply that there's been ups. It's kind of just been downs or a little bit of a disappointment. He has one more year left on his contract. Did look a little bit better to finish the year than how he started it. However, just a few picks later would be Matisse Thibel, Brandon Clark, Jordan Poole, Keldon Johnson, and Kevin Porter Jr. All players with far more upside. 2020. Uh, 2020. Pacers traded their first-round pick uh, from Malcolm Brogdon to the Bucks in the sign-and-trade. I still stand by that. That was a good move at the time. Brogdon was a huge get for the Pacers, uh, even if it hasn't really worked out to our expectations. 2021. Chris Duarte, 13th overall. They didn't have a, a comparison for Duarte on uh, NBADraft.net. However, the strengths, gifted and natural scorer, a very good decision maker and understands when to take shots versus when to pass, elite three-point shooter. Duarte had the, the best pacer rookie debut in, in franchise history, dropping 27 points on opening night. When healthy, looked very intriguing. Love the three-point shooting capabilities. I believe the best is fully ahead for him. Isaiah Jackson, they compared him to Nicholas Claxton, which felt like a little bit of a low ceiling, to be honest. Strengths, extremely athletic, agile, big man that can impact the game without scoring uh, and showing a, a ton of flashes defensively. You know, look, Isaiah Jackson, 22nd overall, left that out in the beginning. Stud, I really do believe that Isaiah Jackson has a massive amount of potential I think that his frame needs to fill out a little bit more, and he needs to just kind of you know, get a better understanding for his role or have a consistent role. So I'm super excited about IJAX moving forward. Guys, I hope you enjoyed a quick trip down memory lane for the Pacers' past 10 first-round draft picks. Uh, this year, hey, it's going to be the best pick that many of us have seen in our lifetime, no matter where it falls, and I'm super excited for it. Let's go Pacers. Always awesome stuff there from Michael J. Focci. And now we're going to look at the history of the 31st pick um, since the NBA expanded to 30 teams. So obviously everybody knows that the Charlotte Bobcats were the last team to be brought into the NBA. There's been a lot of rumblings that there could be more teams brought into the NBA as we maybe do another expansion. Looking at Seattle, Las Vegas, two teams that potentially could be become NBA franchises. Seattle, once again, getting a team would be really cool for that city. But I wanted to look at the history of the first pick in the second round. So I wanted to talk about the top five players um, that I think were drafted with that pick. And there's been some hit or misses here with this pick. And I'm going to go in inverse order. And we're going to start with number five. You guys probably remember it because he got a really big contract in 2016. That's Alan Crabb. Alan Crabb only played 381 games in his career. He's already out of the NBA. He was drafted in 2013. He was traded to Portland. He averaged 9.1 points per game for his career, 2.8 rebounds per game, 
shot 38.7% from three. And that is what his calling card was. So, you know, Alan Crabb, it's really interesting to look at his career because you feel like he should have lasted a little bit longer, but really he never panned out to what everybody hoped he could be in terms of a three and D type of guy. He was very inconsistent and just somebody that nobody really loved. And he got incredibly overpaid. And I think that kind of derailed his career a little bit, but let's move on here to number four from 2008. The Minnesota Timberwolves selected Nikola Pekovic, 271 games for the 25-year-old rookie, 12.6 points per game, 6.7 rebounds per game uh, for his career. He started every game that he played in in 2012-2013 and 2013-2014, where he posted career highs in points per game and rebounds per game, 16.3 points in 2012-2013 and 17.5 points in 2013-2014. So, you know, he posted up some really good numbers, but he didn't play as long as some of these other guys here. So that is why he was bumped down the list. I mean, there was times I remember playing with him on NBA 2K. Uh, he was really pretty good. Um, obviously, would not really fit today's NBA, I don't think. Uh, maybe you can make that argument that he could. But Pekovic was a guy that was pretty good on a bad Minnesota team. So hard to really read how talented he was overall, but still an interesting player. Now we're going to go to number three, and this is a familiar name to a lot of Indiana fans here. We're going with Carl Landry. I don't know if you guys remember Carl Landry, not from Purdue, but um, yeah, Carl Landry had an interesting career. He actually played 513 games. He played from 2007 to 2016, pretty lengthy career. For his career, he averaged 10.8 points per game and 4.9 rebounds per game. He was traded to Sacramento in 2009-2010, where he posted 18 points a game. For the Sacramento Kings, obviously, he bounced around. I know he played for Houston. That's the first thing he played for. He played for Golden State, played for Philadelphia. So Carl Landry, definitely a, a household name here that people know and had a pretty solid career in terms of how many games he played. Now we're going to go to number two. This man is known as one of the biggest floppers in the NBA, but definitely was not afraid to take a charge, throw his body all on the floor, and he played in the league for a very long time. 2009-2010, all-defensive player, Anderson Barajal. Anderson Barajal was actually the 30th pick in the 2004 draft because the Timberwolves had to forfeit their pick. So uh, technically it wasn't the 31st pick, uh, but it was the first pick of the second round. So I wanted to include him in here. That pick was traded to Cleveland, where we know he played pretty well there with LeBron James for a while. Um, but yeah, I thought it was really cool. He played from 2004 to 2017. Then he went back to his home country, played there for a couple of years, and then came back in 2021 and played five games for the Cavaliers. So um, obviously, Barajal was with the with the Warriors as well, um, with the Cavs. And I know he bounced around a couple of different places, but looking at Anderson Barajal, he was an okay player, right? But I, I just felt like because of his longevity, because he got an all-defensive team, I had to give him some credit there. But number one, this is no stranger to you Pacer fans. It's Bojan Bogdanovich, and an interesting thing here, he was drafted with the 31st overall pick in the draft and was traded to New Jersey. The Brooklyn Nets is when he ended up making his debut. He was drafted in 2011, but did not make his debut to 2014-2015, where he made the all-rookie team, has played in 603 games. He's averaging 15 points per game, 3.7, re, uh, 6 rebounds per game. And shoots 39% from three. Look, we all love Bogey. So I thought it was really cool to just kind of go back and, and look at all these players. But Bogdanovich should be clearly the best player in terms of what he was asked to do. A starter on multiple teams that made the playoffs. Pacers, Utah. I actually played pretty well for Washington when he went there. 
Um, Brooklyn, he was good, obviously made the all-rookie team. So I think Bogdanovich has had a pretty solid career considering he's only been in the league for the last, you know, seven, eight years. But 603 games from him over that span. Uh, some other names that I could have potentially put on this list, Chetty Osman, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. And then another guy, it's just kind of too early to put him on here. Um, but Nick Claxton was another guy that I, I, I considered throwing on here. But I will say this as I wrap up this segment, I thought the most interesting thing about this 31st pick is how often it's been traded. Since 2004 to 2021, this pick has been traded 11 times. And that's just from the team that originally had it. So I don't know how many times it's got traded after that, but I'm sure there's times where you can look, it was traded to this team, which was traded to that team, which was traded to that team. This pick is very valuable in terms of a trade asset. And that is why the Pacers desperately wanted this pick. So sure, there's a chance they could take this pick here, but this pick has not really produced major players since the 2004 draft. If you get a Pekovic, if you get a Landry, if you get a Crab, you're like, okay, not bad. If you get a Bojan Bogdanovic, you're probably feeling pretty good about yourself or even an Anderson Verja to a certain extent, but it's just not been very good. Now, the Pacers have had some interesting history with this pick. If you guys recall, James White was a player that played at Cincinnati in 2006. The Indiana Pacers traded with the San Antonio Spurs to acquire the second round pick. James White um, did not make it to the regular season. So Rick Carlisle, I, re I read a quote and it said Rick Carlisle was almost to tears that they had to let him go because they really invested in him and traded up for him, but he just didn't make the cut. Another name you guys are probably familiar with for the Indiana Pacers, Jeff Pendergraft. Traded to Portland in 2009. Uh, he's Jeff Aries now, if you've, if you've heard that name instead, but you know, he was with the Pacers for a couple of years, and he wore number 29. I believe he's the only Pacer to wear 29 in franchise history. And then, of course, if you look at last year, the Pacers acquired the 31st pick from the Milwaukee Bucks in a massive trade, ended up flipping that and trading it to Washington along with Aaron Holiday to get Isaiah Jackson. So I know that everybody is familiar with that pick and that trade. I think something similar to that could happen again this is a really unique draft where I think there could be some talent there, but a lot of people are saying this is a weaker draft. So the Pacers, they could use this pick. The nice thing about a second round pick, the salary, there is no guaranteed salary. You basically just decide and you have a contract negotiation with the player you select and determine, determine what contract you want it to be. So usually they're lesser deals, but with that being said, if you hit on somebody and you love them, then it can make a whole lot of sense. So, I thought that was interesting. If you have any more questions about the second round pick, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. But we're going to close things out here with our final segment, our Fan of the Week. All right, everybody, we are back for the Setting the Pace Fan of the Week segment. We have none other than Tanner Turek on the line. Tanner, what's going on? Uh, not much. Uh, thank you for having me on. I've been listening for about a year. You guys uh, you got some good Pacers content. I love listening to you guys. Hey, well, we really appreciate it and we we'll always love to connect with our listeners. So, Tanner, I thought we'd rewind it and, and go to the very beginning. I mean, when did you become a Pacer fan? And is there like maybe a moment that sticks out that really hooked you? Uh, yeah, there definitely is. So uh, I've been a Pacers fan for about uh, nine, ten years. And I didn't really like follow the NBA as a young kid. And then about like 2013, 14, I started to get into it. And that's whenever like LeBron James is on the heat and he was like a big deal. And everyone was talking about LeBron. 
and I didn't like LeBron and they always were playing the Pacers in the Eastern Conference Finals and I just really wanted LeBron to lose so I was really cheering hard for Indiana and then I was like wait this team is actually like fun to root for and I was like I'm getting more into the NBA might as well choose a team and they're kind of who I chose and I've just been going with them ever since no matter all the trades they've made and stuff like that I've kind of just stayed as a Pacers fan. Hey we appreciate it there's better times ahead and I'm saying that because we couldn't get much worse than what we experienced this year. So, but I'm with you, man. I it was so hard for me to like LeBron because the Pacers kept running into LeBron, and as everybody knows, you know he beat us in the playoffs each time that we ran into him. So, you know, it was just really hard to be like, man, I really love that guy. It was more like someone's got to take him down. But you know, as we go into a little bit of the darker times this season, I mean, look. You know, we talked a little bit offline how last year the Pacers were in the playing game. What were your expectations for this season? Okay, so I was really excited for the season. I thought we were going to be super good because obviously our team wasn't, I mean, they were okay, I guess, a year ago, like 500-ish playing game. But we had a lot of injuries, and I thought with this team healthy, a healthy TJ Warren, we'd be good. And then obviously he didn't play the whole year. And things just went from like, okay, maybe get some guys back to being like, it doesn't matter who we get back. We're not very good. So that kind of stunk. And then it just felt like we were going to keep pushing towards mediocrity. So I was really glad that uh, we made that trade and it brought some excitement back. Oh, definitely. I mean, I remember when it was like, just wait until we get this starting five together. And you know what? I'm still waiting and I'll be waiting for the rest of my life because it's never going to happen. And it never did happen. So it was a shame. You know, we never got to see, you know, Levert and, and, and Sabonis and Turner and Warren and Brogdon all together. But, hey, you know, we're in a different spot now. When we talked about ripping the Band-Aid off, I feel like it was a clean rip because we, we made a lot of trades. So that was the way to do it because I think the worst part would have been if maybe we just made one trade. Like if we stopped at just trading Levert. So was there a sense of shock when, it, when we traded Sabonis for you or were you just like, it's got to happen? Uh, no, I was extremely shocked. So I was actually in class and I just got this notification on my phone. It was like the Pacers are trading DeMontis Sabonis. And that's like, like shock value because he was an all-star last year or whatever. And he was kind of like the Pacers franchise, how we viewed him. And I thought, honestly, leading up, I thought we were trading Turner. I didn't know for what assets, but I thought it might've been the Charlotte one, whereas uh, PJ Washington and like their first round pick this year, something along those lines. So whenever I saw Sabonis and it was like that big splash trade, I was like, wow, I am. And especially for someone as good as Tyrese Halliburton, like I just felt like that is the perfect move for where we're moving, become a more younger, more athletic team because Sabonis is great in the offensive, like all the stuff he did, offensive efficiency, but he was just like lacking on defense and it just kind of made our team very unathletic and slow. And also another player that I really like from the trade is Buddy Heald. I've been super impressed with him, and I really hope we keep him this offseason. I'm with you on that. Look, if Sabonis is your best guy, then you're very limited. So, you know, the ceiling was just too low. Halliburton instantly raises the ceiling of this whole Pacers team. And Buddy Heald, I remember when the Pacers made that deal, people were like, don't expect Heald to stay. He could be traded again. I'm like, this Mm -hmm. team stinks at three-point shooting, but he's second in the league in threes made. Like, Let's give this guy a shot over here. And I thought he developed as a rebounder as well as a playmaker with the Pacers. So he showed a lot more in that half season than they were letting him show in Sacramento. So I'm actually really excited about Buddy Heald moving forward. But, you know, as we enter maybe into the draft, 
Is there a player that you might have like a little bit of a man crush on for the Pacers or someone that you're like, if we can get this guy, it's gold. And then maybe also the player that's like, but we might end up getting this guy. Yeah, no. So I, one of my friends, he's really into like the NBA draft and he's been looking up a lot of stuff. So I've been kind of going back and forth with him and somebody that I've fallen in love with through the draft. Obviously I want Jaden Ivey. Like he's my dream scenario, but if we don't get a top four, I'm really liking Shady on Sharp. Like I really like him and I think he has like star potential. But like I think we're going to end up with a Keegan Murray or an AJ Griffin, which they're really good players. Don't get me wrong. Like they would make our team better. But I feel like if we're going to pick in the top seven, which is I hope what we'll get, we got to go for more star potential. We can't get someone that we can just plug in and play and be like, oh, they're a really good NBA player. Like we need somebody that can like partner with Tyrese Halliburton in a way of where we can raise our ceiling to even higher than where it can go with a type of play like Shady on Sharp. I'm right with you. Sharp has the the star potential swing for the fences. That's what the Pacers have to do. You never know when they're going to pick this high again. And I'm with you, Jaden Ivey. That is my like best case scenario, but just don't know if he's going to be there or not. But I don't want to play it safe. I feel like the Pacers played it a little bit safe with Duarte last year. Good player, but it, it, it was like, hey, if we're entering a rebuild, by the time we might be ready to win, Duarte could be 27, 28 years old. I mean, who knows? So I'm with you on Sharp. So, I mean, overall, before we, we tie it all up, look, from a coaching standpoint, uh, like wins, it wasn't good this year. But now that the Pacers are rebuilding, how do you feel about Rick Carlisle coming on board? I really liked Rick Carlisle this year. I know you guys have had some pretty honest takes, and I, I respect that honesty. You've given him, a, I think Alex gave him like a C, C plus. I think <laughs> you're in the same category. But I honestly thought he did better. I mean, if you look at the roster, the roster we're supposed to have, we'd never, it never like materialized, like we said. And then we had a bunch of two way guys and G League guys that we called up consistently through the year, and it was constant roster construction. Like we had, definitely top five in lineups played this year and that is extremely tough like no continuity no consistency so I thought he did a really good job and I like his mentality like I think it was the last week or maybe the week before the final week of the season he talked about how he's like here for a rebuild and he wants to be the coach and you always want to hear that you never want someone that's on the fence that came here for one thing and if it doesn't happen he's leaving to find greener pastures I like how he's committed to this, and I really think he's the right coach to lead us in the future. Absolutely. I love how he nicks those front office rumors right away. And the fact that, you know, you made a great point. Look, he didn't have the pieces that he needed to run his style, but knowing that Carlisle was involved in the draft where we hit on Isaiah Jackson and Chris Duarte, in my opinion, um, but then also being able to make those trades, it feels like he's pushed management to be like, hey, look, these aren't the kind of guys that we need right now. And also hearing one thing that he wanted to get Tyrese Halliburton when he was in Dallas. So that felt like some unfinished business that they made the trade to bring him to Indiana. So yeah. I love that the Pacers are now in a situation where they're expected to have top three most cap space uh, in the league. Hey, look, we don't attract free agents, but at least we have the option to do it. And then we also have... Yeah. A great draft pick this year. Could get even better within the next few weeks with the lottery. So I feel like right now, look, we dug ourselves out of some dark times. And right now, we could finally start to look forward to developing the right players instead of kind of that treadmill of mediocrity that, you know, we talked about moments ago. 
So, you know, as we wrap up, Tanner, I definitely want to thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate you, you know, giving us a shot, but also tell everybody where they could, you know, find you on social media. Uh, well, I don't have a very big Twitter following right now. I don't really tweet much. Uh, I, mo- I mostly just retweet Pacers and I guess Husker stuff because I'm a big Husker fan, but you can find me at uh, Tanner Turek. It's how you, it's my name. That's my Twitter handle, uh, capital T A. N-N-E-R, capital T-U-R-E-K. So give me a follow up. Very much appreciate it. And thank you for having me on. I love your guys' podcast and keep up the good work. Absolutely. Really appreciate it, Tanner. And at the end of the day, hey, let's go Pacers. Let's write the shit. Let's get it right. And then the next step is that draft lottery. So let's get it. Let's go Pacers.